Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Jana Harmon, on her captivating research on why many atheists have found God. But when they meet, say, an intelligent or kind or winsome or articulate Christian, it, it really disarms them. They, they don't know quite what to do with that. Jana Harmon, next. When an atheist comes to Christ, that's a reason to rejoice, but typically we only see the end result. We seldom get a detailed picture of how skeptics come to Christ unless we know them personally. In Atheists Finding God, Unlikely Stories of Conversions to Christianity in the Contemporary West, C.S. Lewis Institute Teaching Fellow and Side B Stories podcast host Jana Harmon presents findings from her conversations with 50 atheists who came to faith. Jana, what prompted you to look into this question of atheists converting to Christianity? I was so interested in understanding truth and reality and the Christian worldview, and I and I went to Biola to, to study Christian apologetics. And after three years of study, I became very convinced in my own worldview that it was true, that it was the best worldview that matched with reality, with the you know, the way that we perceive or make sense with the things around us and the way we make sense of our own lives. And a lot of times through that study, we would compare and contrast, I guess, the Christian worldview with a godless worldview, with an atheistic view of reality. And I often saw, especially after getting out of that study and seeing the, the discussion and the debate and the correspondence and the writings between atheists and Christians, and it seemed like two ships passing in the night, that even though the Christian worldview had amazing and substance and truth behind their worldview, it did not seem to be convincing to the non-believer, especially the atheist. So I wondered what was going on if, if this solid, you know, amount of reason and rationality and evidence could not convince them, what is going on? What would it take, you know, essentially, mm -hmm. for an atheist to become a Christian? And so I went mm. on a journey to really investigate that question. Mm. Kind of definitionally, right at the top, how do you define atheist and then how do you define conversion. Atheist can be defined differently even among atheists. And mm. in, in a classic and traditional perspective, one would say an atheist is someone who does not believe that God exists. They they know that God does not exist in reality. Now, more atheists would say I merely lack a belief in God. Mm. So that it's not if you if you make a, a statement, a claim about reality that God does not exist, then the burden of proof is on you to show or to prove that that God does not exist. And that's a very difficult thing to do. You'd almost have to know everything about you'd have to be God yourself, yeah. essentially. You'd have to know everything about everything about all of reality to know that God does not exist. It's very difficult to prove a negative. Um, on the other hand, just saying that I lack a belief in God is saying something comparable in their mind to I lack a belief in um, the tooth fairy or Santa Claus mm -hmm. or 
are the unicorns, they don't feel an onus of belief. Um, and so it seems to them a lot less pressure or, you know, burden of proof for their perspective. And so that they, um, it's just easier. So, uh, but that, but that's different than say a, an agnostic who would say, I'm not sure. I don't really know. They still call themselves atheists. Um, so it it is a a very godless perspective, in a in a formal way, I guess you could say they believe that um, in naturalism or materialism, that is that only nature exists. There's nothing supernatural about reality at all. Only matter exists. Nothing immaterial. Some mm-hmm. it, there are nuances to all of that, yep. but basically, no god, nothing supernatural, nothing more than nature. Um, Conversion, mm-hmm. uh, in and of itself, is is an interesting word because it means change, really, doesn't it? You're converting from something to something else. Yeah. And of course, in this context, it's believing in a godless reality, converting, changing to the belief and the lived belief and truth of the fact that there is a God who, who created and superintended all of reality and calls us to himself. And, and so um, it's conversion in the context of Christianity to belief in Jesus Christ as, you know, in the triune God and, and all of that. And that's extremely dramatic. It's not just like changing your mind or converting from, uh, well, I like chocolate ice cream and I've converted my, my favorite ice cream now is vanilla. I mean, to, to, to convert from no God to not just believing that there is a God, but all the way over to faith in Jesus Christ. Is that one thing that particularly drew you was the dramatic nature of such a conversion? Yes, and it's very obvious in the lives of those who have converted. You know, when Scripture talks about moving from darkness to life, or to light, or death to life, Mm -hmm. there really is truly in the lives of these individuals— the way that they thought about and lived their reality in a godless world as compared to the lives that that they now know and experience is so dramatic it, it is it is so dramatic and i think that's i think probably one of the most fascinating things that i found in the, these changed lives is that they have it is like the light switch has come on and now they can make sense of their lives. Now they're, you know, they have a life that is truly mm-hmm. life and they want everyone else to know. And they're very active, not only they're very serious about their following their discipleship towards Jesus, but they're also very serious and enthusiastic evangelists for Christ as well. Well, the book is Atheists Finding God, Unlikely Stories of Conversions to Christianity in the Contemporary West. And my guest is the author, Dr. Jana Harmon. Well, Jana, how many former atheists do you profile in your book, and how did you go about finding them? The number of atheists that I researched in my book, for my book, was 50 former atheists. So I wanted to get a very wide range of different kinds and types of atheism, because there are different kinds of atheists, just like there are different kinds and types of Christians. Mm. And we come to our beliefs in different ways. But I wanted to 
understand a variety of different kinds of atheists and and how they they changed. So um, how I found them, to be quite honest, the way that I say it in spiritual terms is, I knew no former atheists. You know, there are those there were those very public former atheists like Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell, but I didn't know them personally. Mm-hmm. And I thought, where in the world are these <laughs> former atheists going to come from? Yeah, but I. Um, I've, it's almost as if the Lord said, put your net on this side of the boat and I will fill it to overflowing. And that's what he, he did for me um, years ago. Um, and using different people to do that through apologetics ministries, through, through, through um, intellectuals who really loved and were invested in my work, people like William Lane Craig and Paul Copan and Brian Auten of, of Apologetics 315 was very generous, even with a prior project that he had had. So, it really gave me, a, a it was a generous pool from for me uh, from which to draw. Mm. Well, what kinds of questions did you ask? I really wanted to know, first of all, why they rejected God. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know what informed their atheism. Was it some, you know, because oftentimes when you hear an atheist and why they don't believe in God, they will often give intellectual reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't believe, you know, because of science or, you know, it's not rational to to believe in God. And they'll they'll, they'll give a number of responses like that. So, I wanted to know if they're if they embraced disbelief for intellectual reasons, or if it was something like like we all experience a much more holistic picture, we all come to beliefs for different reasons. You know, the home in which we're brought, the, our friends, the cultural ar- around us, our what we're exposed to, our authorities, um, intellectually, you know, in education, in school, and and in culture. What is that teaching us? You know, how are we forming our beliefs, our desires? You know the things we want to be true, <laughs> yeah. and so I, I wanted first of all to to know why they rejected God, and then the next big question. I I think of this as almost the million dollar question, mm-hmm. uh, and that is for a group of people who were, for the most part, very resistant to belief in Christianity, particularly. What would breach that? Um, defense, those barriers, what would bring down their walls and allow them to become open? That's what I call the catalyst. What was the catalyst that allowed them to become open to even the possibility of something beyond atheism? And then I wanted to know, once they became open, how did they proceed in their journey? How did they quest, is what I call that? How did Mm -hmm. they quest towards truth or belief in God? I wanted to know then more about their conversion story and then how they were transformed. So I, I really wanted a very fully orbed look at um, their reasons for holding, changing, and then embracing a new belief, particularly Christ. What were some of the major reasons, if it's possible to generalize over these across these fifty different lives, why the reasons they gave for not believing in God. As you said, the the idea, I mean, when you think of Richard Dawkins or somebody like that, it seems like it's, at least initially, it's all intellectual and, and it's dismissing Christianity because it's not rational. But what, what did you find? You know, that, uh, thank you for bringing up Richard Dawkins because, you know, again, the, oftentimes that atheists will say, I don't believe because, you know, 
X, Y, and Z intellectually. Uh, there are other authors and thinkers who are out there who give all kinds of reasons for disbelief. Paul Vitz has written a book called Faith of the Fatherless, who talks about people are atheists because they have a bad experience with their father, for example, mm. that, you know, they have an abusive or, or uh, weak or abandoned father. It, w- it would make it very difficult for someone who has a, a negative experience with their father to believe in God. There's, mm-hmm. There are people like James Spiegel who say, you know, people are atheists because um, the, of their their desire for immorality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's interesting is that some of the, the atheists are, f- even in within their atheism, consider themselves to be very moral people, um, that they wanted to live a good life, even though perhaps they couldn't ground it. Um, so, but but that's not to say that about half of the people in my survey said, yeah, I didn't like the idea of a moral authority in my life. You know, and in terms of the father uh, issue, about 25% had some issues with their father, but not all. So, mm-hmm. there, there, there are some of these um, theories come into play for different people in different ways. So there's the father, you know, the, the family issue. There's the, there's the morality issue. Sometimes people just grow up, to, to be honest, with no big issue. They just grow up in a home and a culture where religion is not part of their world. It's a, a non-issue. So they grow up socially, culturally in a, in a godless world. And, and so they don't feel the need for religion or you know it's for other people not for me you know it's um so they grow up with this idea that it's just some extraneous hobby or you know some kind of bowling club or (laughs) something where people want to belong to feel good about themselves um so so they they think it's not for them um so there, there are also experiences that someone might have. You know, we spoke of the fatherlessness issue, but some people do grow up in a, in a home that is very dysfunctional. Uh, they have negative experiences, either in life, mm-hmm. which can be really very difficult, and so you wonder where God is, or they have very negative experiences or bad experiences with religion or religious people. So, Bad religious people, bad, you know, mm-hmm. bad circumstances. Um, and then I would say finally, again, from an intellectual perspective, as you mentioned with Richard Dawkins, some people genuinely think because of their authorities, intellectual and educational authorities, that they cannot believe in religion and believe in God at the same time and be a scientist or, you know, some kind of intellectually astute thinker. Uh, that it's not allowed. So there are so many different things, you know, that that usually come together uh, that create a story or a narrative for someone that you know the godless uh, worldview or story of reality is the right story or the one that they want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, they're they're again just different motivations for belief. What were some of the, if you can narrow it to maybe a few, uh, that that rose up of what you call, I think, catalysts that right. began to cause them to say, wait a minute, to, to actually open that door, which I'm sure they probably were shocked that they were even doing that, that, <laughs> yes. that maybe yes. there's a God. They were shocked at themselves. Um, because one of the questions that I asked at the very beginning was, as an atheist, did you ever 
think that you would ever become a Christian or would you ever consider, based on evidence or anything, that you would ever consider the possibility of God in your life or exists? Um, and two-thirds, 63% said they thought they would never change. So I think that you know they themselves were completely and utterly surprised to find themselves you know, in, in, in the position where they were talking to me as a Christian. But in terms of those, uh, what those catalysts, I, I think that, mo- and this is true for most people, uh, that sometimes you don't think very deeply or clearly about your own worldview until something disrupts your life. Mm. Now, these disruptors could come in different forms for different people. Um, one of them, and I think this is probably becoming more and more common these days, is that when you live in a godless world, there really is a, in in the words of Albert Camus, life is absurd. Uh, there, there is no real meaning or purpose. There's no real human value or dignity. You know, you don't really have an answer to who you are, where you're going, why you're here. And sometimes and those longings can come to fruition and, and cause you to look for something more. So there's this, what I would call an existential longing. There's this desire for something more for mm. some people, and they were willing to open the, do- the door. Now, I will say, for many of uh, people like that, they had to f- live out the atheistic worldview for quite a while, because there are some benefits that come, you know, when you're the captain of your own ship and you can live the way that you want, and mm. you know, there's no one telling you what to do. There's no cosmic moral authority, um, but but yet over time, that the de- the self destruction, the de- depravity, the you know the the destroyed relationships along the way, uh, the emptiness that comes with that can cause an openness. Um, there actually can also be an intellectual longing. For those who are intellectually astute enough to look at worldviews, see, you know, answer questions like, okay, how did the universe, why is the universe here? First of all, that's a question that science doesn't answer. Mm-hmm. But how did it come to be? Did no thing create nothing that doesn't make sense how did life come to be scientifically the more we know the less it then less and less it becomes clear that you know life came from non-life where did consciousness come from um you know Mm -hmm. what about morality how do we have objective things that are really right and really wrong you know, there are there are those intellectual conundrums that come with a godless worldview, not only for the world out there, but the world interior to ourselves. You know, like in a godless worldview, we are just determined creatures. We have no real um, agency. That is, we are basically puppets without free will. Well, we know experientially, how is that true? I feel as if I'm making decisions, but according to this worldview, I'm not. I am just going with the flow like a domino falling, and I can't control anything. Well, that doesn't make sense. Um, it, it doesn't seem to cohere with my own sense of, of truth or reality. So, 
Again, we have this existential longing for something more. We've got something intellectual that that's brewing that I really want to figure that out. That's one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, another would be a crisis. Mm. You know, of course, a crisis point would cause any of us to take a closer look at what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when your beliefs don't match up or or you know give you what you're needing or experiencing in reality, if you you know, whether it's a a broken relationship, a health concern, a death, you know, sometimes these things destabilize us and cause us to want to look deeper. That's that's another. Um, another is just, and this I think for Christians is particularly important, and that is that there is such a negative view over who atheists believe Christians are that when they meet a Christian who disables those negative stereotypes and caricatures, stupid or intolerant or, you know, the Mm -hmm. list goes on. I don't need to pull those out. But when they meet, say, an intelligent or kind or winsome or articulate Christian, it it really disarms them. They, They don't know quite what to do with that. And sometimes it causes someone to look a little bit more closely. And sometimes that happens actually is, Say, for example, an atheist is watching a debate between a Christian and a non-Christian. So it could be a personal engagement with somebody, or it could be actually watching and realizing, well, hey, you know, the Christian actually has more intellectual substance on their worldview than I than I gave them credit for. And so there becomes a challenge in a sense. Um, so sometimes actually engaging or encountering intelligent Christians in person or intelligent Christian material causes them to, first of all, usually the response is, I'm going to disprove this. I'm going to look more closely at this. And then they are bowled over, you know, if if they're actually willing to do an honest intellectual search. Um, So meeting Christians or intelligent Christians or kindness. And I would say the last thing generally speaking, is actually some kind of encounter with the divine. Mm. Sometimes that's on the heels of of them reaching a point of desperate need and calling out and saying, God, if you're real, show me. And they will have a, a religious or spiritual experience, an encounter with Christ. Or even sometimes when they're not looking for it, they may have a dream or a vision or something that Again, we don't, we don't, we think about these religious experiences oftentimes in third world countries or in Mm -hmm. the Middle East or among the Muslim population. And I think that's one thing that was probably one of the most startling or surprising things were these otherworldly experiences that Mm. were so unsettling or convincing that it caused them either to move forward to look or were convinced on the spot, like a Paul kind of conversion, yeah. Um, or even after conversion that confirmed their newfound faith. So there are a variety of things um, from being disillusioned with their own worldview, being disoriented by a challenge, being disrupted by you know an intelligent or kind Christian, or some kind of divine hmm. interaction. Well, the book is Atheists Finding God, Unlikely Stories of Conversions to Christianity in the Contemporary West, and uh, my guest is Dr. Jana Harmon. She is the author of the book. Well, Jana, can you give us an account or two of such a 
conversion of an atheist to Christianity? I opened my book with this story, and I it was one of the first people that I sat down with to to hear their story. Oftentimes, well, with every one of the former atheists, they completed a survey, so I knew a little bit about them before I sat down to listen to their story. And this particular one said that he had become an atheist when he was seven years old. And I thought, you know, there's something behind that. What what child at seven would be utterly convinced yeah. uh, that God did not exist? And it, of course, as soon as we sat down and had our cup of tea, it was in England, and and his story just started pouring out at age seven. Hmm. His house caught on fire, and and he lost. He, you know, he he ran out of the house. Uh, one of his brothers escaped, but two brothers died. He saw one, you know, run out in flames. Uh, it was very traumatizing. And and a week later, when you know he he had been taught in his Sunday school that Jesus loved him. And he, he couldn't put two and two together. So, over the next 20 years, he suffered a lot of emotional anguish, depression, but hatred, hatred, um, vitriol towards God, towards anything religious. He wouldn't go into church. He wouldn't go to a wedding. He wouldn't go to a funeral. He said at great social cost. Um, he was difficult to be around, to be honest, um, self-admittedly so. So he ended up marrying a, a woman over time um, while he was away on a business trip. His wife accepted Christ. Well, uh-huh. that did not go over well, needless to say. And so he came back and he was more angry than ever. One evening he had to go pick her up from this couple's house where she, they had introduced her to Jesus. And he moved in. He was totally expecting a fight, a verbal fight. Um, he went in kind of with both, you know, guns blazing or ready, ready for the kind of the rumble. Mm-hmm. And they were not like that at all. Um, they invited him in, asked him to sit down, have a cup of coffee or a cup of, cup of tea. And of course, that was very disarming. And he sat down and they, in his words, they treated him like I was a human. Mm. And again, I think he had, he had developed so much hatred and so there was this emotional pain but it was covered up in rational arguments against god he had plenty of time to 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 give reasons you know why god didn't exist so there was a lot of that onion to unpeel but the the couple was very very patient with him very loving valuing him not pushy just tr- pulling him in treating him like a human, like he was valuable, made in the image of God. He was so taken aback by that and so taken by it that he wanted to come back. And so they started this regular visit that he would come back night after night, week after week. (laughs) And they would not, again, not push God, not press about God. They would allow him to lead the conversation. And when he got ready... And he started pushing back and asking questions and pushing back. And um, but they had answers. They had answers that he, you know, didn't expect them to have. They were intelligent. They were informed. They were kind. They were loving. You know, over over again months, they discussed all these issues. He was softening. Finally, they reached a point to where they said, "You know, what else do you have? What do you hold now against God? It seems like all of your questions have been answered." 
And he just sat there silently. And so the gentleman said, can I pray for you? And he prayed over him. And he said, this peace washed over me like I had never known. And he said, I woke up the next morning thinking that it would be completely gone. And he said, it remained. And he said, that was really the beginning of my journey. And he ended up mm. becoming a community pastor in England, just going around to his, you know, the people in his community who were hurt, kind of binding emotional wounds, but able to answer the hard questions as well. And he's still a pastor to this day. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Jana Harmon, C.S. Lewis Institute teaching fellow and author of Atheists Finding God, Unlikely Stories of Conversions to Christianity in the Contemporary West. Part two of our conversation tomorrow. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again tomorrow at this same time for another edition of His People. His People.